Okay. There we go. All right. So um, thanks for thanks again for coming, everyone, to the City View podcast, the Untold uh, Stories of Youngstown. I'd like to introduce Sean Posey and Andrew Zajek. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Zajek. Okay. You know, sometimes the, there's like a hidden Y that I don't want to pronounce if it's not there. But uh, come on over, guys. Have a seat and join us. Um, so. For the benefit of the um, listener at home, whenever they are listening to this, um, these guys are, are dressed up super sharp and they're looking good, very professional. And more to this point, like it, it's authentic. Like I get, like these guys know their history, they know what's going on here. I'm not going to question anything. You could lie directly to my face, and I would have no idea, or I would pretend to not know because of how you know professional you look. It's very intimidating and. Uh, for the for the listener for the listener at home, I'm just kind of dressed, you know, like a dude, uh, wearing a t-shirt and jeans. Um, but um, let's start at the beginning. And I I don't know anything about either of you other than your names and some basic information. Um, Sean, we'll start with you. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and what it is that you know if you grew up here and what you do here as a professional. Well, uh, I just we're uh, I think just reflecting what the typical wear would have been in downtown Youngstown like 50 years ago, where you wouldn't have, in fact, would have had hats though, of course, because yeah. you couldn't go to downtown without having a hat on, that would be very, Fedora. Yeah, we, yes. we would have, yeah, it, we would take it off in the building, but we would have it on outside, right? That would be appropriate, so. Uh, yeah, so uh, my name is Sean Posey. Uh, I'm a writer and an author and a historian and a photographer, among uh, other things. Uh, I My first book came out this uh, this year, earlier this year, called Lost Youngstown. I'm currently working on a follow-up book, uh, which will be similar, though it's about the entire Mahoning Valley, not just Youngstown. That'll also be for the History Press, the same publisher as Lost Youngstown, and that'll be coming out in May. So I'm currently engrossed in that. I'm also doing, at the moment, campaign coverage for Bill Moyers' uh, PBS, uh, basically revolving around Youngstown, and Ohio's role in the 2016 presidential election. Awesome. Uh, and Andrew. Uh, so Andrew, tell me uh, a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, you grew up here, so on and so forth, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, for those who don't know me, my name is Andrew Zajac. I am a second year graduate student at YSU. Uh, my specialty area is Civil War history, so I'm a big Civil War buff. Thankfully, that really won't come out uh, tonight, thankfully, but uh, so I um, primarily study baseball during the Civil War, and I will actually have a little bit to say about baseball in this area, but um, baseball's always been a passion of mine, and um, at the end of October, I will be traveling to the University of Cambridge um, to give a talk there. Um, I've been working uh, for about the past year on a uh, historical editing project um, through this museum in Trumbull County. Um, so basically what we've been doing is we've had about 800 or so documents um, from this family called the Sutliff family. Um, they were very prominent abolitionists, um, primarily between 1820 and 1860. Um, so they were very prominent in the abolitionist movement and um, they were actually um, very good friends with our local congressman at the time, Joshua Giddings too. So basically the project, um, we have these 800 documents that we are um, transcribing, so basically taking from handwriting to type 
and then we're digitizing them as well as annotating any people, places, or things that readers might not know. Um, so this project is aimed at making um, these 800 primary source documents um, available to scholars, students, whoever might use them um, in our area as well as the nation. So um, that's just a little bit about me and I'll kind of hand it back over to you. Cool. Uh, thanks for the background. And the, the, so the first thing I think of uh, when it comes to history is, damn, that's a lot of reading. Um, you have to be a, a very particular type of person to uh, want to fully study history and um, the activities that, that comes with that. There's a lot of reading, but there's a lot of research as well. Um, and, you know, speaking as, as an academic who, without art, I couldn't live or breathe, um, just to, to sort of denote my level of passion, what is it that you find passionate about uh, you know, this, the study of, of history. Maybe you don't, but maybe it's the thing that you get at the end of that, of that study, that, that, that process that, that you value the most. Uh, why are you passionate about, about history, and more specifically, Youngstown history? Well, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's an interesting way to put it. I always kind of thought of history as a, as a puzzle. Uh, there's an old quote, and I'm going to forget the name of the person the quote comes from uh, about history. It says, uh, uh, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. So when you're studying history, one of the interesting aspects of it is you're not just going back and talking about events and things that have happened, but you have to somehow in your own mind realize what life was like, what people were thinking, what was the political context and the social context of events that happened long before you were born. Places that you've never been and never will be. And not just, it's not just that places change throughout history, physical landscapes, but society changes, the way people talk changes, the way people dress changes, the way people think changes, uh, oftentimes the, what people value changes. So I, that's what I think is really exciting about history is uh, the detective aspect. You have to really kind of put on a different thinking hat and engross yourself in the past and try to as much as possible, because it's never fully possible, to try to understand uh, what was going on in the world at a particular point in time as much as you can. Though knowing in your head that you can never be fully objective when you do so, as much as you might want to try, and you never can fully understand uh, the past. I mean, it's just, it's not possible. It's not a science, I, I guess that's what I should say, even though there's been some attempts in history to make it more scientific, and yeah, that's fine uh, uh, as far as being rigorous is, but it's, it's not a science. It actually takes the romance out of it, in a sense. You know, if, you, if you're being super analytical and quantitative about, about history in, in the context of what you're saying, then, yeah, it, it kind of eliminates that, that, I'll use the word mystical part of it. Like, you know, the, the thing, there's still so much to discover. And, you know, even, and, and we're still learning a lot, obviously. But I think for me, uh, one, of the thing that, one of the things that I'm getting from you is the, it's a puzzle piece, as you said. And as a, as a fellow puzzle piece solver or person that needs to solve those puzzles but in a different form, uh, I really appreciate the journey and how it alters my perceptions of things or, or how I feel about a particular topic. And um, not being able to relate to it as, as a person that studies history, not being able to actually experience or live what you're studying, it gives you that complete objectivity, um, which I think is, is fascinating. 
uh, to still have that appreciation for it and that dedication to learning it despite never having that, that on-point relation. Um, I can see that as being frustrating. Uh, it is, it is <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> it is frustrating, but just, just to answer the last part of your question that I, I neglected to answer, uh, Youngstown history, what I thought was interesting about Youngstown history is there's probably not another city that would spring to my mind of this size that is so representative and symbolic of many of the changes in American history over the past couple hundred years. If you wanted to um, use a micro view of history to talk about immigration or industrialization or unionization or uh, assimilation and integration, uh, racial issues, deindustrialization, Youngstown is, is, is perfect. Using a story from Youngstown is perfect to illustrate all of those points. And it's not just history, of course, it's right now. So every time there's something big happening in the economy or there's a presidential election, you'll see, as we're seeing right now, Al Jazeera and CBS and CNN and all kinds of anthropologists and sociologists will come through Youngstown because of those things I talked about. It's, it's very representative of a particular type of uh, American experience uh, you know, over the past 100 years or so. So save your best material for the next part. <laughs> I know, I see where you're going. It's very easy. You know, once you get on a roll, it's very easy to transition. So Andrew, uh, I put it to you. Uh, what is it about uh, the study of history that, that you're passionate about, and more specifically, the history of Youngstown? So I think a lot of people have you know, misconceptions about history in general. Is History is all about what you want to make it to be. And for me, you find your passion within history. It doesn't have to be just X day that this happened or this war was fought, you know, here and here. The cool thing about history is you have the, you know, kind of, you said, you know, the puzzle piece, but each puzzle piece that you kind of put in, you still don't quite know what it's going to give you until you kind of put it all together. And that's what's cool about history is, you know, you can put these pieces together, but until you kind of, come together and see the whole picture, that's what's fun about you know learning about history is there's all this information out there, there's all these pictures out there, and until you put it all together, you're, you're basically just, let's say, like the detective, you know, and that's what makes history fun and interesting. And like I mentioned, you have to find what you like. It, you know, it, like I said, it doesn't have to be the mundane middle school history that, you know, a lot of people are accustomed to learning about. Um, and in particular, the city of Youngstown has a very rich history. You know, Sean touched upon it. You know, this area is very representative of our country as a whole, you know, throughout its history. Um, whether it's racial tensions, immigration, like you mentioned. Youngstown, you know, in terms of the Rust Belt area is the perfect representation. I mean, because you look at Cleveland and Pittsburgh, those are some bigger cities, but they weren't necessarily the same representation of let's say, the, you know, the national struggles that, you know, occurred during various times. So Youngstown's a really actually unique, um, let's say, test case. And you two have two completely different areas of study in the context of, of Youngstown history. So um, I don't want to bore our, our folks at home listening with my endless rabbling and musing. Um, they want to know some, some good history, some untold stories of Youngstown. So, um, lay it on me. What's your, maybe not your best, save your best for last. Uh, but what do you got? I mean, so, Sean, what do you focus on in terms of Youngstown history? 
boy. Um, <laughs> kind of everything, but uh, <laughs> what's uh, your what's your sure. focal your true focal point? Um, you know, uh, I'll probably just have to pick something because I have tried to look at most aspects of the the city's history, and that's. Tried, what I tried to do in my last book was give kind of an overview of the urban history of the city, looking at uh, neighborhoods and industry and uh, what I call, or what planners call third places, so like movie theaters and places that aren't work and aren't your, aren't your home, because I wanted to give people a, an overview. But as far as, as history that people don't know about in Youngstown, there's a lot. Uh, and there's always history that we're on the verge of losing. Um, you know, one thing I could probably mention, if you don't want to go too <coughs> deep, is um, related to my current research is what a vibrant theater culture Youngstown once had. And when I say theaters, I don't mean just motion pictures, but also going back to the uh, area of the vaudevillians. Performing arts. Right. Yeah. So if we would go back 90 years ago or so, you could go down to East Federal Street to the Park Theater and see uh, John Barrymore on stage or someone like that. You could go to the park burlesque and see the biggest burlesque dancers in the country and see comedians like Red Skelton on stage. Can you go back to the burlesque? Yeah, yeah no. sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I could talk about that for a long time. No, no, I keep going. Uh, the Warner Brothers were from here. Uh, the Warner Brothers uh, grew up for the most part in this area. Their introduction to the theater business really came in Youngstown. The thing that sparked Sam Warner into getting interested in film in general was uh, seeing the great train robbery at Idora Park. So the beginning of the greatest empire really in motion pictures, the Warner Brothers, has its roots here in this area. So things like that. And at one time that I can count, one time or another, there were at least 75, probably closer to 80 theaters in, in the city limits at one time or another just in the city limits of Youngstown, wow. right? I don't even, and I, I suspect it's more than that, but those are the ones that I've been able to pinpoint. What was the duration, do you know, of, of this particular period insofar as like all these theaters coexisting? You know, probably the first Nickelodeon theater opened in 1907, and there were theaters in Youngstown from 1907 until 1989 when the Uptown Theater closed on Market Street. So for 82 years, you had movie theaters of one sort or another from the very basic Nickelodeon where it was really almost dangerous to be there. They were poorly ventilated, fires broke out routinely. Uh, there were shady characters hanging out there all the way through some of the best movie palaces in the state. The, Warner, the old Warner Theater is still here, so you can see it there, but of course, uh, very near to us used to be the Palace Theater right next to it. It's that parking lot next door to Stambaugh. One time, what is now a parking lot, was one of the nicest theaters in Ohio. Uh, easily, the Palace Theater, which showed vaudeville. They had a room underneath uh, in the, the bowels of the Palace Theater that were had uh, wash stalls for horses because the stage during the era of vaudeville, they actually had live animals on stage, including <laughs> horses. So, uh, I mean, there's, there's a million stories like that, but Youngstown has a terribly rich theater history, and a lot of it is forgotten or very near to being forgotten. So how do we, how do we resurrect that, you know, the, that lineage, that, that history, particularly around the theaters and the performing arts? Can, can we, re I mean, I guess you're resurrecting that and you're referencing it in your books, right? Mm -hmm. um, yes. I have not read your book. I'm 
sorry. I've been busy. I have a lot of books to read. It's on my list. Um, he's giving me very dirty looks at the moment, everyone. No, I'm teasing. He is disappointed, though. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, is, is there a way that, that we can sort of, um, you know, getting back to the point of, like, resurrecting, like, this rich theater history and calling attention to that? Because, you know, I've only been in this community for, for five years, and it's very easy for folks to dwell on the negative things and what they've lost uh, insofar as the steel collapse. And, you know, that comes along with the territory of the story of Youngstown. Um, but uh, highlighting parts like that, are it's fascinating, you know, to, to think that Youngstown had a, has roots in, like you said, the Warner Empire and essentially Hollywood. Uh, it's, it's crazy. Um, okay, so coming back to that. Andrew, I want to know, uh, what are your, your primary areas of interest? And if you could shed a little bit of light on them, uh, that'd be great. All right, so I'll give you just kind of a small you know, overview before I kind of dig a little bit deeper. But um, I'm very much a, like a social and cultural historian. So I'm interested in looking at um, what were people actually doing? So kind of similar to you looking at you know, theater culture, you know, that's, that's kind of what I like to dig into. But in particular, there's a few things you know that I want to bring up today, and one of them is, um, let's take the Works Progress Administration for example. So the Works Progress Administration, you know, was set up as part of trying to bring the country out of the Great Depression, right? So in you know 1935, Works you know Works Progress Administration starts out, and about 955 local men join. Fast forward to February the next year, and you already have about 7,400 people joined. By a few months, you know, you're at about the limit, which was about 8,000 people. So as an average, they were allowed to work about 140 to 150 hours, you know, per month, which averages out to about 32 and a half to 35 hours a week. So these people, you know, we always associate them with building our athletic stadiums or you know big things like that. But what a lot of people don't understand is they built up our infrastructure quite a lot. Um, so if you look at the numbers here, in Mahoning County alone, um, they built 206 mi uh, you know miles, just you know going each way. They built you know 206 miles in Mahoning County, and they were allotted about 2.5 million dollars to do so. In Trouble County, you had about 168 miles built, you know, by the WPA, um, and then in Columbiana County, about 67 miles. Um, there was one woman um, who I read in the, the historical records who um, she lived in a rural part of Mahoney County, and she said, you know, something along the lines of, after these roads were built, you know, for the first time, her and her family were able to actually go to the doctor on a regular basis. Her children didn't have to, you know, sludge through mud, snow, ice, and rain to get just miles to the bus stop. These roads actually helped to make Mahoney County more of a modern place to be. Um, I mean, and so WAPA projects were immensely important to the you know, to the Mahoney Valley, and it you know it represents, like we mentioned earlier on in the podcast of Youngstown and the Mahoney County being a good representation of what was going on across the country. Does that cross over uh, into, into what you've researched? 
Yeah, um, so what else you got for me? Uh, again, see, I don't live here. I didn't grow up here. I, I know nothing. I know where Mill Creek Park is. I've been there. <laughs> and, and a couple weeks ago, Andrew and I actually did a, a separate recording uh, where he talked a lot about the history of baseball, which I hope you'll, you'll ha be happy to refresh, Absolutely. by the way. So we covered some, some theater and performing arts. Uh, what are some other uh, areas of, of strong interest for you, Sean? Uh, you know, uh, lots of, uh, like I said, lots of different things. I've been diving into it for years. Um, but, you know, uh, referencing the, uh, the WPA, other, um, other things in American history that Youngstown is symbolic of, uh, this one's brought up a lot, and a lot of people don't like when it's brought up. But, you know, one would be organized crime, uh, certainly. Uh, right. It, it, uh, at one time, Youngstown, I've it's heard... It's not all sunshine and roses. Right. You know? Yeah. I've heard several historians say, and probably put it pretty well, that Youngstown was probably the only city of its size in the United States to have such an organized crime <laughs> presence. Uh, and they called it Little Chicago, of course. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was reflective of um, starting in the 1920s with, with Prohibition. Um, it was re reflective of the growth of the mafia organized crime empire, which a lot of people might not know, but by the 50s or the 1960s, the mafia, La Cosa Nostra, was bigger than most American corporations as far as the money it pulled in and the power that it wielded. And once again, Youngstown is a, is a classic example of it. Uh, in the late 1980s, in Camel, Ohio, which is, you might know is an industrial suburb of Youngstown for those who don't know, uh, the FBI did a raid on a place called the All-American Club, which was owned by a guy by the name of Lenny Strollo, uh, who was really the mob boss of the Valley. And uh, the FBI determined that it was the largest uh, illegal casino that they had ever come across in the United States. <laughs> uh, and it had been going there for, for years, even years after the, the mills were gone. And when Strollo was eventually brought to trial and uh, flipped on uh, the Pittsburgh, his Pittsburgh mob associates, he admitted that he basically ran the city of Camel, that... Uh, the FBI had got him on tapes when there was a new post office. Uh, Strollo was on with his associates saying, okay, where are we going to put the post office? Or who are we going to hire to be the police chief? I mean, that's how life was. He ran the show in that, in that town. And he had a lot of influence in the, in the local government, too. Of course, once again, that's it's kind of a negative story. But it's a, it's a representative story of, once again, you're taking, look, taking a look at a topic like organized crime. Youngstown uh, would be one of the best places in the country to look, uh, you know, for a smaller area outside of, say, New York City or, or possibly Chicago. Um, labor history, of course, is, is very important here. Uh, Youngstown was part of one of the largest, most important strikes in American history, the Little Steel Strike, uh, which happened uh, uh, in 1937. Um, a lot of people don't know, but for years, Gus Hall, the head of the American Communist Party during the Depression, and during the Depression, when Roosevelt was president, there was a lot of fear among the capitalist elite that if the economy didn't turn around, that they would, there could be a communist revolution here like there had been in the Soviet Union. This was a serious fear when you had 80% of people unemployed in some cities. And the American Communist Party was a big deal. And Gus Hall, of all places, came here to live and to organize the steel industry. They considered this an integral part of their effort to... And this was an effort that was uh, supported by Joseph Stalin in Moscow, his orders to the American Communist Party, penetrate the trades, the trade unions, and flip them into, not into trying to get just better wages and better agreements from their bosses, 
but into seizing the means of production and overthrowing capitalism. Of course, that certainly didn't happen, but just the fact that Youngstown was, a, was ground zero for that movement uh, is, is really something else, too. I mean, it is, you know, as big as the biggest industrial cities in the United States. Why do you think it is that Youngstown seems to be this center crossing point for all of these fascinating parts of, of history? be it organized crime or, or communism, just all of these crazy things just intersect right through. Why, why, why Youngstown? You know, um, I think it's central location, especially uh, during most of the 20th century. Uh, today, everybody talks about the coasts of America, and a lot of the times where we live is dismissed as flyover country, right? But in the 50s, say, for example, this was really the heart of it all, as Ohio yeah. calls itself today. This was the heart of industrial North America. Youngstown was midway between Chicago and New York, roughly, and also between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. These were enormously important cities. Cleveland was one of the biggest cities in the United States for a while. Uh, all kinds of transport trade came through this area, trucking, shipping, all of the big band musical acts and touring road shows during the area of live theater all came through this area, so much so that Youngstown audiences were kind of used as a, a typical example of an audience that you might have to face, a notorious rough audience here in this part of the country. So I think this, the central geographic location made Youngstown uh, bigger, a bigger player in the country than it should have been given its size. And you look, if you look at its peak, Cleveland, Youngstown, and Pittsburgh basically made this big triangle of biggest steel producers, not just in the US, but in the world. So if you have these three cities that are in very close proximity to each other, pumping out that amount of steel, you know something big is going on in that area. Um, and so to, to kind of back, you know, back you know, a little bit, 1916, Anyone remember the, the riot in, you know, what's now Camel? Yes, I was there. <laughs> you, you, you look like you're that age. <laughs> so, at the time, it was considered East Youngstown. It wasn't Camel yet. So, this area, you know, e you know East Youngstown included, was primarily made up of young men who had just immigrated, you know, from Eastern and Southern Europe, they were mostly single, and they, they loved the saloons, let's be honest. And a lot of them worked and lived in really harsh conditions. You had, they, they often worked 10 to 12 hour work days for six days a week. They would come home, and oftentimes, these houses that they were living in, you know, were basically like commune housing, you know, shared housing. And when these housing units were built, they were built so fast because they couldn't almost meet the need for how many people needed housing. And so these housing units were often pretty harsh themselves. So aside from working in the steel mill and all of its dangerous conditions, these housing units you know, weren't all the, the greatest either. And on top of it, they were getting paid really, really poorly. I mean, you know, before this riot happened, they were being paid about 19 and a half cents per hour. So, I mean, think about that for a second. You know, with all the dangerous conditions that they were working in and, and what have you. So, you had two, let's say, plants that basically went on strike the same day in January. But, you know, both basically simultaneously. And so, they were demanding about 25 cents an hour. 
So, I mean, you're not talking, you know, big, big bucks, but they were demanding, you know, some type of raise. So, there's conflicting reports about the events that happened that day, whether someone threw a rock at one of the security guards or, or whether they fired a gun. That's still not even known completely to this day, but the guards reacted and, again, mixed reports whether the guards actually fired at whoever had thrown or shot said weapon or if they just kind of fired in, you know, indiscriminately. But what the events that followed basically left, you know, this area unrecognizable, you know, by the next morning. Um, all but two of the saloons in that community were burned to the ground. You had whole community, basically, you know, entire housing units that were also burned to the ground. It was basically, you know, people consider a riot, a melee, but at the end of it, um, about 2,000 National Guardsmen had to be called out to quell the scene. They stayed for several days. And the funny thing that came out of this, though, is they did get the raise. Not all 25 cents, but I think it was about 22 that they got, which is still a raise, nevertheless. And believe it or not, after they started rebuilding these housing units, the housing units also got better in quality, too. So despite this you know, big negative riot that happened you know, to the steel production, something good actually came out of it. And would it have happened otherwise? You know, left for debate. But it's very indicative of what was going on in steel in other areas, too. I mean, they were getting paid very low wages as well. And so, again, Youngstown kind of being at the heart of it all. Sean, you have Oh, right, he's totally right about that. I mean, that was, he's considered one of the worst labor conflicts in American history. And as he mentioned, and the outcome of it was, and you can still see it today, if you go down Robinson Road, and I think yep. it's Chambers Street today, yep. uh, are pretty much a good portion of uh, the housing that they built afterwards. Um, that housing was the first prefabricated concrete apartments built in the entire world. It was considered a wonder of the progressive era. And there are a very few remains similar to it in a place called Oak Park, which is uh, near uh, Smoky Hollow. Uh, and that was another example of the time. If you go back and look at publications, these were considered new breakthrough techniques in housing. Uh, it was the progressive era, safe housing for workers to keep workers happy. This was, I mean, ground zero for that once again. So once again, just another story that encompasses a couple of different aspects of American history and shows how this area was really at the forefront or right in the, the mix of it all. I like the idea that, that, that Youngstown is this center point that, that yeah. we've been talking about. And um, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit before we get back into some, some uh, tales of history. Um, as historians, do you often reverse your thinking and become sort of futurists and think about, well, this is where we've been, this is where we are now, where are we going? Um, what's the Youngstown of, of the future look like? Boy, I, I do. I, I set you guys up. I, set you up. Uh, <laughs> I do do that, even though historians probably shouldn't do it, uh, yeah. or probably, maybe probably nobody should. If, if you go back and look at futurism for like 50 years ago, it's embarrassingly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, even look at cartoons, though, and we, we should have had you know flying cars by now. 
even the best intellectuals turned out to know nothing about what was going to happen. So <laughs> I won't go too far into that. But the future Youngstown, once again, I would I would not want to say, but I would say that um, you know Youngstown is for the for the majority of its existence, certainly its peak years, was a steel town. I mean, it was Steel Town, USA, America's Ruhr Valley. This was, uh, at least as far as positive elements goes, this was the, the, the economic reason for being for this entire area. When steel disappeared, all of a sudden there was no economic reason for this area to exist. And all of a sudden the, the city had to rethink where it was going to go. Uh, and something similar happened where you lived in Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh was a little bit ahead of the curve for a lot of different reasons. It, it had a stronger institutional base, more resources to draw on, but Youngstown still is not there to be, okay, what are we now? Where are we going? There's not really a consensus there yet. And once again, it's representative of many, many places from uh, Flint, Michigan, to Gary, Indiana, to uh, all of Western Pennsylvania, practically a whole bunch of other places. Uh, you know, it's a deindustrialized place that's trying to find its way forward in the new world, and that, of course, is why people are coming here today and saying, you know, why is Youngstown in Trump country? You know, and this is all connected to this. People, some people are saying we need, we want to go back to the good old days. We can't go back, but we want to go back. Other people saying no, we need to go forward. Youngstown is a tech hub now. Don't talk about the past. There's a lot of disagreement over where the city should move forward. I would hate to say what's going to happen because I really have no idea. But um, in thinking about it at all, I think people who say that we, that uh, as Henry Ford is accused of saying, though I don't know if he said it, there's not a lot of evidence that, that history. That's why he's accused. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, yeah. he did a lot of bad things, so he is accused of some things. <laughs> but uh, history, Henry Ford is accused of having said that history is bunk. That in other words, the history is the studying of it is meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. I would totally disagree with that. And I would say, in trying to think about where Youngstown is going to go, the first thing you want to do is investigate the past. Where has it been? Where has it left us? What were the mistakes we made in the past? Because we're guilty of repeating them on very many examples, including the current day. So I think that uh, people like us have a lot to say in that realm. Not where are we going, but here's where we've been, and here's where why you might want to keep that in mind when formulating economic policy or urban policy or whatever uh, today. And to piggyback, when the steel mills left, it didn't just affect steel workers. You had all of these restaurants, you know, that these steel workers, you know, went to grocery stores, teachers, all these families packed up and left because they were affected too because these steel mills were their primary source of income as well. So it wasn't just, you know, okay, the steel mills left. So did basically everything else at the time. And so I think that's important because right now we're starting to build up between, you know, there was some, you know, use of the shale industry for that was kind of going for a little while. You know, now we're going into more of a 3D printing. But as you build up, you have to remember, you know, local business is still just as important as everything else because as the steel mills left, so did local business. So, you know, just like Sean, you know, you don't want to make any bold predictions about the future, but Youngstown is still, let's say, your blue collar town that, you know, it's always been. So, you know, your, your best guess is as good as mine, but there's still that solid foundation of, um, hard work ethic and um, caring people. And that's why I ask. It, it, it's about 
that that base, that that hard work ethic, caring people, um, and and determination and tenacity. And those, uh, if if you look at the entire historical narrative of Youngstown, you can pick apart these these core principles, these these founding tenets. Uh, that essentially give this city its spirit, be it in the past and even now. Um, and that's, that's why I ask, um, because the, the future isn't so much defined literally. Like, yeah, we could talk about the tech hub and, you know, being an additive manufacturing hotspot and what America makes. And, you know, we can be literal like that. But, you know, I like to think that it could be anything that moves in. Mm-hmm. Maybe we become... Hollywood of the East. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, it, it, what to me is it, it matters what's behind it. Who's behind it? And um, why I wanted to talk to you two was how can we pull out these these best qualities of, of Youngstown, of who we were, who we are now, and charge those for who we want to be, not necessarily where. Um, and that to me is fascinating. It's, it's very much a, a, an individual study in that sense. So <clears throat> that being said, <clears throat> pardon me, what are some of the, the, you know, if you had to define that personality of Youngstown, uh, be it now or later, you know, what would that really look like? Would it still be the hard work ethic, the tenacity, is there anything else you would you would add to that? I think that's just I mean that, that that's the core of that's the core of Youngstown and it always has been. I mean I I mentioned to you, you know, during our prior podcast, you know, no matter whether you live in Youngstown or you move out of Youngstown, Youngstown doesn't leave you because it yeah. instills certain values in you that you know you can't replicate, you know, in many other towns and areas. So, I mean, you, that hard work ethic, you know, that blue collar just, you know, mindset, I think it's always going to be a part of Youngstown. Now, I think, you know, looking ahead, I think we have, you know, just like, you know, this marketing campaign that, you know, we're starting, we have to rebrand the city of Youngstown in a sense where for many years and many decades after the steel mills left, Youngstown got a bad rap, you know, whether it be through the mob, whether it be through just, you know, mur- murder in general, the loss of jobs, people leaving. You know, we have to highlight the positives of Youngstown to start to turn around the city. We have to highlight the positives of this city. Um, so I think it starts, you know, at the ground level and trying to just make Youngstown a positive image again and build from, you know, the, from the ground up. John? Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's still a blue-collar town. It's still, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of hard-working, salt-of-the-earth place. I think very, that's, that's, that's still very much in the, in the, the blood and the soil of the, of the area. Uh, I think there's a lot of incredibly positive things to, to draw on uh, about Youngstown. Uh, aside from the rich history, uh, the people are really um, a value here. Uh, this is a place that, that despite all the, the terrible things that have happened here, especially in recent history, people are extraordinarily uh, friendly. There are still a lot of people that are fighting against great odds to affect change. Uh, it's a place, despite of what you might read in the media a lot, that has a, a great outlook in, in some ways. And I, I think that's something that we would need to draw on. And I think that 
the, the, the mirror image of that that we also need to deal with and that a lot of people don't want to deal with is the, the history of corruption, uh, especially in the government, yeah. in, a, in, an, in acceptance of an ingrained culture of corruption. That will have to change. And it's, of course, not just a problem here. Other places like Chicago, for example, Philadelphia have had, to, uh, uh, have had similar culture experiences of grained uh, political corruption that just always seems to hang on. I think that is the negative side that like a, an abscess or a, a tumor needs to be pulled out and dealt with. And the more positive elements of, of, of the city, uh, its, its history of hard work, the, the very accepting people here, the diverse groups of people here, that is what we need to draw on. But we also need to deal with the parts of the city's history that we would rather not talk about because they're not even history, they're still here today. And that's this, uh, uh, this culture of corruption. It lingers, for sure. Um, and, you know, being able to recognize that history and access it today and understand what it meant and what it means now, I think, is going to um, not necessarily, it, perhaps a slow change in, in our, our community's personality. Um, but you know, it, it certainly wouldn't be an, an overnight thing, but I think it will definitely give what we do now and what we're trying to, to do with our community and progress it forward even more meaning uh, by referencing that, that historical aspect. Um, Andrew, you had a thought. I lost it. He lost it. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. Um, I'm going to give you the mic, and I want you to talk about baseball for a little bit. Okay, or, or, or any other topic that, that you are very passionate about. Oh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say baseball for Okay, and then, and then Sean, I'll give you the same opportunity as well. All right, so I'll, I'll kind of gauge you, all right? Sure, yeah. Would you like to talk about Idora Park, or would you like to talk about maybe politics? I mean, because we kind of already touched a little bit about politics. So, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of leave that up to you. What uh, Idora Park. All right. Yeah. So often kind of dubbed, you know, the million dollar playground. I mean, I, be, I bet almost the majority of the people in the room, you know, remember Idora Park, you know, for one reason or another. So be, even before it was closed, it was still one of the last remaining urban amusement parks of its kind. So we can talk about this one of two ways. Socially and the, the impact that it had socially on the city of Youngstown, or the fact that it was actually, you know, nationally recognized, you know, quite a lot. Um, so, I mean, if you look at the Jackrabbit was built in 1910, you know, most people recognize, you know, the famous Wildcat as well that burned, you know, once um, the, the big, you know, great famous fire of Idora Park happened. But you, you had the giant ballroom. Everyone remembers the ballroom that also debuted in 1910. You know, originally it was an open air ballroom, eventually, rebranded and, and enclosed so they can use it year-round. You had the famous carousel that now um, is home at, uh, I believe it's Brooklyn Bridge Park, I believe, and it's, um, it's on the historic record now as well. Um, but, by, so even Idora Park even has some roots in baseball, okay? So, so by 1920, it was the only fenced-in ballpark in this area, you know, whether it be Mahoney County, Trumbull County, or what have you. And a lot of professional baseball teams actually played exhibition games there.
Cleveland Indians, Pittsburgh Pirates, I believe the Brooklyn Dodgers did as well, and then Boston Red Sox. You also had a few Negro League teams that played there as well. Youngstown had a semi-pro league that um, they called that park home. So even you know in this early stages, baseball had you know some great roots in Youngstown. Um, but take Youngstown Sheet and Tube for example as well. Many people used it at, for company picnics. Took their families there who worked in the you know Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company. It was a big social gathering. You know you you look at Idora Park and it wasn't some you know somewhere that. Um, we think of today where, let's say Cedar Point, for example, people travel miles and miles to go to Cedar Point. Idora Park was a very, very special localized amusement park. And, you know, a lot of people remember it as that. Um, so even you look at, um, in 1976, it was named one of the, the top 100 amusement parks in the country. So, I mean, it, it, so you had this great fire in 84, and you know, a few months after they decide to finally close the park, and I believe September of that year. And like Did I said- Did they have to close specifically because of the fire or was it kind of like- um, It was a mix of both because number one, I mean, the fire did extensive damage. It burned the Wildcat, it burned um, a water ride, it burned the park offices, and it did some other damage to some other surrounding um, things as well. So I mean, it, pretty well decimated the park. I mean, I believe the damages were in the millions of dollars to even repair the area that it, it had burned, but park um, attendance had been on the decline as well. I mean, because once the steel mills had closed, you had, a, you know, a, a thousands of people who, you know, either moved out of the area or didn't, you know, attend the park anymore. So, I mean, it was kind of a variety of reasons. I mean, it, the, the fire was almost kind of representative a little bit. Um, and there's still not even a true answer there, you know, what started the fire. I mean, there's some, let's say, reports that it may have started a little sketchy, but, um, but nevertheless, I mean, you look at Idora Park and a lot of people, you know, whether they met their spouses there and then, you know, as they got older, they took their family there, you know, whether it be for just a day at the park for picnics or they went there for, um, company, you know, picnics or whatever. So, you know, it really encompassed a lot of people's lives and the time span that it was here. And as the, you know, as Idora Park grew, so did the communities around it when Idora Park first started out. So, I mean, you look at Idora Park and, I mean, it played a fantastic role on the city of Youngstown. I mean, whether it be baseball, socially, economically, you know, it, you, you can't really say enough about Idora Park. I don't know if you have anything to add about that, Sean. Yeah. I, no, I, I think you, you touched on it all, but that was, uh, yeah, that was a pretty good synopsis of the park and its, uh, it's you know, historical importance. So, uh, so let's talk about, um, give us, um, give us, just talk to us. Give us some history, Sean. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe we can talk about how the the city has changed. Uh, yeah. And maybe we can talk about downtown. Uh, so. You know, you do the the walking tours downtown. Start there. Yeah, uh, actually, um, uh, the person who does that is is Mark Paco, who's actually here in the the audience with oh. the, the Metro Monthly. But the, the oh. last tour that he did, he he invited me to come as a speaker. He's been doing the downtown uh, kind of architectural tours for a very long time. Now, I don't know how long, but but for a while. Uh, but uh, yeah, we did one of those uh, that he dubbed uh, "Not Your Father's Downtown Tour" uh, just this uh, past summer. <laughs> it was shameless plug. 
<laughs> it was it was it was it was really uh, perfect because it was really like your your grandfather's downtown tour or great grandfather's depending on your age. But uh, yeah, so the the downtown has kind of been the center of the revitalization of uh, the area. If we would have gone back, say, to 1992, we could have walked up and down the downtown, and it, it was a graveyard, basically. As you people who remember the area will tell you, I mean, it was it was done. It turned the light, last person in downtown turned the lights off before you go home. So that's changed a lot now. I mean, you know, we're sitting here in the Erie Terminal Building. You have all these restaurants and the business incubator and uh, uh, all these things down here in downtown uh, that did not exist. And the downtown has, has really been uh, revitalized, but it's it's also changed a lot too. So you have a lot of urban planning groups, students who are coming down here to study Youngstown and try to figure out, well, what should be done, what could be done next with the, the downtown. And that's a, I think that's a, an interesting discussion. I think history has to, a lot to tell us about that too. At one time, if we go back to the 50s or even the 60s, especially the 50s, if you lived in Mahoney County and you wanted to shop, you came downtown because there was just nothing else until the Greater Boardman Plaza opened in 1953. I mean, it was all down here. You had to come downtown. Over the next 20 or 30 years, it changed, and now you you know you pretty much have to go to Boardman or someplace like that, uh, down 224, which when my father grew up was nothing. I mean, there wasn't even a traffic light out there. So the downtown is never going to be the retail hub again of Mahoney County, but you know, what can it be? What can it be? What can we do downtown to make downtown better? What's the, the right mix of businesses that we would like to get downtown? What do we do with these uh, missing teeth in the urban fabric, like where the Paramount Theater was? Hint, don't turn it into a parking lot. Where the Crest Building was? Hint, don't turn it into a parking lot. Think about that. I noticed a common theme here. Right, right. And think about that and, and be like, you know, what do we want to do to make downtown inviting, especially for people who are walking? And, you know, one of it is not to put up parking lots on West Federal Street, not to hit this over and over again, but that would be one of them. Uh, and we could go back and look at the urban planning history of the downtown, and a lot of mistakes were made. And I would encourage people, planners today, who might not know anything about it, to go back and revisit those mistakes, not to make them again, but to say, okay, what are we going to do with downtown next? What's the next phase of downtown? You know, one of it is we want people living down here again, right? And this is what uh, NYO, whose building we're in here today, is trying to do. Fully activate the downtown 24 hours a day. So it's not people here from 9 to 5 and then it's a ghost town. Or it's a ghost town on the weekends, too. Have people living down here, have people coming down from YSU. And so the history of urban planning in Youngstown, I think, could tell us a lot about what we might want to do planning-wise next, in next phase, you know, Youngstown 2.0 or 2.2 or whatever you want to call it. It's kind of funny that you mentioned the poor planning mistakes that were made because Idora Park also had the same problem where once they got so big, they couldn't expand anymore. And that was kind of one of the, let's say, knocks on Idora Park was once they got to a certain size, they couldn't expand. And I think if they would have expanded, like had room to expand, I think the park, you know, could have even taken off even more. But that's just another, you know, planning mistake that did occur that we that we have to learn from. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, I guess it was. You know, it's probably primarily built to get people to ride the Park and Falls yeah. uh, tr trolley car line yeah. and, and to buy property around it. Yeah. So. I don't think anyone thought it would survive long enough no. to have an issue with, hey, it's you're stuck in a neighborhood and we can't expand. But that's an interesting yeah. thing to bring up.
So we're kind of ed uh, edging on, on our remaining time here. And um, I wanted to ask, uh, and this is a future-based question, actually, uh, where you're headed next with, um, so you, you've got another book coming out. And Andrew, you're, you're gonna jump across the pond and yeah, do some jump, presentations. Jump, um, but uh, if you can, shed some light on, on your book, on your presentation, and then what comes after that? Uh, you know, you have an endless supply of, of topics and subjects that you can research and read into and fully explore. Um, what, are the, what are the things that are sort of capturing your attention now? Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like I primarily I'm working on this book. I have to devote most of my attention to it. Well, Andrew is going to Brexit here shortly. But, uh, but uh, um, other than that, I mean, yeah, I'm going to put this book out. The book is going to come out next May. It's going to be about the theater culture of the Mahoning Valley, starting from you know, the around the time of the Warner Brothers through the drive-in theater era. Hopefully, I think people get a lot out of that. Uh, I'm also at least for the next couple of months working on. Uh, the presidential election, uh, writing for Moyers, uh, not just through an Ohio perspective, but trying to give an Ohio perspective to the election, or at least trying to answer some questions. When the election is over, regardless of who wins, what is going to become of places like Youngstown and Ohio? Because as, as we often get so, uh, so very much, candidates will come here every four years and, hey, we need your vote, we're gonna yeah. do this, we're gonna do that and then we don't see them again for three and a half years. It's yeah. short now because the, the election cycle is longer. So I'm, I'm trying to push out the perspective of the heartland of the Rust Belt, which often gets ignored for what's going on the coasts here in this presidential election. Be like, okay, pay attention to this country, the other three, this part of the country, the other three and a half years, and not just when it's a battleground state for six months. Just to touch upon politics, because I, I was talking to you about it, you know, before the podcast is, you know, presidential candidates in Youngstown go back to, even to 1960. You had, you know, JFK who visited Youngstown um, two days after his famous televised presidential debate. Um, you had anywhere between 20,000, 60,000 people pack downtown Youngstown. You know, estimates depends on who you talk to, but I mean, so even going back to 1960, you know, you you have presidential candidates paying attention to Youngstown, but. Um, but so like I mentioned, um, I will be traveling across the pond. Um, I will be leaving the States on October 26th. Um, but after that, um, I finished my master's degree this coming spring. Um, you wanted me to talk about baseball, so I'll be kind of brief. But, uh, but right, right now what I'm studying is the rise of baseball during the Civil War and why it was the, during the Civil War that baseball basically became, you know, the national pastime of America, and what it was about the Civil War that made baseball take off. I don't know if you you were kind of raising your hand. In, but in, are you going to focus on this area too? Yeah, I mean, so study? well, because it it it's really makes an interesting um, comparative study, especially when you look at um, steel mill teams. You know, when the steel mills were in full swing, and you had company-sponsored baseball teams. So to try and compare and contrast these experiences of Civil War soldiers who um, were experiencing baseball either for the first time or you know making it, or passing it along to their comrades to take home with them to your company-wide baseball teams who were using it as an outlet to you know avoid you know or let's say 
take their mind off of the hard work that they were doing. And same, same can be really said for the Civil War where you, know, you had a lot of bloodshed and leisure time was incredibly important to these people. So you know, really kind of interesting comparison you know, can be made between the two. So um, you know, once I get back over from England, um, that's kind of where my research will lie. So you'll put out a book with a forward from Sean. And use his uh, picture source, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when, when is your, your sequel book coming out? Due date, roughly? May of 2017. May 17. That's okay. hard date. Hard date. Okay, awesome. Um, well, I want to thank you guys uh, for being here and, and sharing some of, some of these lesser known or untold tales of Youngstown. really appreciate it. And hopefully uh, you, the listener at home, uh, got a lot of value out of this as well. And um, if they want to know more, uh, be it on their own or, um, you know, just in general, what would you recommend, Sean? Uh, I have a website at um, lostyoungstown.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, and you can follow me at um, Bill Moyers and, and Company, uh, which is, I think it's... Uh, www.billmoyers.com website, which I uh, write for currently. Um, I'm on Twitter as well, just um, my first and last name, Andrew Zajac. Um, I'm also, I'm always checking my email, so um, azajac at student.ysu.edu, because um, I'm always willing to have a historical um, talk, but um, I mean, in terms of uh, books, I mean, there's so, so many, so it's so hard just to say, hey, you have to read this one book. Start with Sean. But aside right? from Sean's. Yeah, start with Sean's. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, if you're going to read one book, gosh, I, I don't even think I could pick just one. I mean, because I, I would end up giving you five, so be, before I make this podcast longer, I, I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> so uh, I'll have I'll have Andrew put together a bibliography, and we, we can share that online so <laughs> yeah. you guys can check it out. Um, thanks again for being here, and uh, we'll check in with you soon. Cool. Take care, everyone.